Howdy, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. My name is Simon Hill, and I am your host. Before we jump into this week's episode, a little bit of housekeeping. I am actually super, super excited to let you know that I am joined today by my beautiful puppy, Gnocchi. He has decided to sit in for this introduction and he's currently dragging sock after sock out of the bedroom. I don't know how he's got into the sock drawer. It's his favorite game. They're being spread right around the apartment. So if you can hear a little dog stampeding, and by little, he's a little sausage dog, so he is little. You can hear him stampeding around. Forgive me, but he is not going to be here during the podcast with our guests, so the recording should be crisp. Now, second part of housekeeping. I need to thank everyone who has been sharing the Plant Proof podcast on social media. I have been tagged in so much amazing feedback about the the podcast episodes. I've had an abundance of direct messages and it's blown me away. It's blown me away and it's, it's really amazing to see A, how many people around the world are, are tuning in to the episodes and, and B, you know, the effect that it's having and it's inspiring me to connect with more people and share more stories and create more content. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. Now, let's get into this episode because it is an absolute ripper. That is certainly Australian slang. Absolute ripper means it, this is a cracking episode. Oh, another bit of Australian slang. This is going to be an epic episode. Epic is surely an international word for amazing. So this week's guest is James Aspie. And that's certainly a name that most of you have heard before. James is one of the the most well-known, if not the most well-known animal activists globally. And I think I think he said he's spoken at over 500 events and he's done this for free. And he's built a huge presence on social media. In this episode, we discuss James's journey to a plant-based diet, which was initially sparked by a traumatic health experience. Saw him in hospital with aggressive cancer at a very young age. Incredibly, when James decided he was going to go vegan, because like many of us, he was a kid that used to eat steak and chicken and eggs. When he decided he was going to go vegan, he took a vow of silence for one year to raise awareness. That's right, he actually did not speak for one year. I still can't even fathom that. And this was the beginning of his life as a voice for the animals. In this episode, we talk openly about what is happening for animal products to end up on our plate steak, chicken, eggs, etc. And what the solutions are to become more compassionate, mindful, and healthy humans and create a more loving planet for all of its inhabitants. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Quick disclaimer, because I know a number of you listen to these podcasts in your car with children. What is happening in the slaughterhouses is not that pretty. And in this episode, James does go into some detail about the experience that various animals have um, and what they're put through. So if this is not the best time to, to listen to that, I encourage you to come back and tune into this episode at a more appropriate time. 
James Aspie, welcome back. Welcome to- back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> take man. take two. That's it, man. Oh, second time will be better, I reckon. Just to, just to let everybody listening understand what happened, I had a, a terribly rookie moment, as James just alluded to. Didn't set the volume up right on the last podcast, so we we're connecting again, but we. We genuinely think this second conversation will be better than the first. So we're super pumped. We did a whole <laughs> podcast and he's like, yo, we got to do that all over again. But all good, <laughs> man. I'm feeling it. Let's go. Round two. So, James, it, it is a real pleasure to have you on the show. And I've, I've already pre-recorded your your introduction. And, and no doubt the guests already already have seen you and, and all of the amazing things that you're doing. Mate, I, I read last night the, the new documentary, Dominion. Mm. I read, have you already done a an Australian tour or is that coming up where you're at the premiere? Yeah, we did. We, took, we toured all the major cities of Australia and a few um, extra small spots. Yeah, we did that over about a month, man, and showed it to as many people as we possibly could. We sold out a lot of the screenings. I did speeches after each event along with a Q&A with the directors. And yeah, it was a very powerful, very emotional tour, man, because I... You know, for all of us, it was, especially for them, because they have been putting their heart and soul into that documentary for the last seven years. And, you know, I watched it each time that it was shown around Australia, which was nearly 10 times in that month. And it's a very, very powerful, well put together documentary that is extremely inspiring and shines a much needed light on one of the darkest facets of what our species does in all of our existence it's it's very powerful yeah i think one of the most powerful things that they've done with with dominion in particular is they show you the animal's journey from from birth all the way through to its final days hours minutes yep and and we're gonna we'll definitely be jumping into i guess you know what is happening inside the the factories and what these animals are being put through. You know, once we get well into this conversation, but before we 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 sort of skip forward to that, I'd love to know more about James Aspie. Where did you grow up? I grew up in South Sydney, man, a place called Ingadine. So in the burbs, Ingadine. <laughs> and and what was life like down in Ingadine? Life was good, man. Life was chill. I was, you know, I, I had a good family and I, I was, had a fairly safe neighborhood. Yeah. So everything was cool, bro. I really didn't have much to worry about. I was very much sheltered to a lot of the problems happening in the world. And, um, it's only been in my, you know, more recent years that I've started to realize how much work there is to do in for lots of different causes. And, you know, I've just chosen a specific one that I think helps in yeah. many different areas, but. Yeah, man, life was fine for me. I didn't have much to worry about until I was, you know, I got cancer when I was 17, but up until that point, everything was fine. And when, you know, we, and we'll, we'll jump into that cancer moment because it seems like that was a bit of a pivotal moment in, in starting, I guess, a cascade of a new journey for you. But the, the growing up as a, as a young boy and, and, you know, young teenager, you, you had siblings, right? Your siblings? Yeah, I got one brother, John. Yeah, one brother, and and as a family, what were the the typical meals that you you were having in in Australia at that time? Yeah, we'd eat bacon and eggs for breakfast. We'd have like spaghetti bolognese. We'd have lasagna. We'd eat barbecue chickens all the time. A lot of steak. A lot of 
cheese, eggs, lots of omelets, lots of boiled eggs. Man, just a very animal product heavy diet every meal. Like if my meal didn't have some sort of animal product on there, I wouldn't even see it as a meal. So pretty much every meal was a lot of meat or eggs. And, and, and at that time, you were just sort of not conscious, I guess, or not thinking about how the bacon or how the chicken or how the beef had ended up on the plate? I never even thought about it, man. I didn't care though, because I very much didn't care about animals. More than most people, I'd say. I, I didn't understand who they were. I'd never been around any, only a couple of dogs. You know, I'd never spent any time with any of the animals that I was eating, for example. And... They were just a very sort of abstract concept to me. I also believed until I was 26 years old that we needed to eat animal products to survive and be healthy. I thought we need, needed meat for protein, dairy for calcium, eggs for omegas. So yeah, I just thought it was like a lion situation that we had to or we'd die. And therefore I didn't, I was not going to spend a moment feeling bad about something that was necess- necessary for our species survival. And, and I guess because you can look back and, and, and see, you know, how you grew up and the way that you were sort of unconscious of what was happening that allows you to put yourself in the shoes of people who you're, you're now speaking to and you're now inspiring. Totally, man. Absolutely. I'm, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do. Cause when you go vegan, you know, like when you stop consuming animal products and you understand that there's this massive, massive atrocity, massive injustice happening to billions of sentient, emotional feeling beings every single day on our planet. When you realize that it becomes so glaringly obvious, you know, you think, wow, how did I not see this before? The murder victims that I paid to be killed are literally sitting there on my plate. How did I not see this? And it just becomes your whole view of, of life becomes totally different. So it's such a before and after when you make that you know, when you have that realization and it's really important, and I try to do this often to go back to before and try to remember when I was just totally ignorant to it, totally oblivious, because that's where a lot of people are. And that's deliberate by these very powerful industries. That's why there's so many lies about, you know, that's why I, as a personal trainer for eight years, believed you needed meat for protein, even though protein's found abundantly in all plant foods. And it's actually impossible to not get enough protein if you're just eating enough food and that, you know, dairy and calcium, that we can get calcium from all plant foods too, or many plant foods. And, you know, just all these kind of lies, man, that I believed that keeps people in this, in this situation where they don't think about it or they think that there's no other way to live. So they just continue on this very violent path, this, this path of commodifying animals and slaughtering them and turning them into products. And um, when you remind yourself that, no, you thought that way too, because sometimes you tell people and they look at you blankly and you're like, the hell, man, I just explained the whole moral argument here. This is a no-brainer. If we don't need to consume animal products for our health, what justification do we do for killing them? And there really is none. But yeah, a lot of people aren't there. And so when you put yourself back in that situation where you once were as well, it helps you just be able to be relatable and say it in a way that isn't judgmental. How can you judge somebody, you know, like when I was doing the exact same thing exactly, yeah. a little while ago and I'm just grateful and like a lot of us are, like I'm sure you are as well, that we were privileged enough to get this information so we could make better choices and also help and encourage and support others to do the same. 
Yeah, we, we, I guess, to an extent, sit in in the walls of, you know, four sort of cozy walls and that's how we grow up and the 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 brands and, you know, the slaughterhouse and abattoirs, they want to keep what's going on, I guess, away from us so that we don't need to challenge our beliefs. And, of course, that's what today's conversation is is about. Man, I, I just want to say on that, I've spoken to 80-year-olds who have never seen footage of what happens to these animals inside slaughterhouses and yet they've been eating the product of that for their entire life three times a day. It's very deliberately and cleverly hidden from us and there's so much propaganda that goes with it that makes you think animals are killed humanely and they skip in there smiling and there's nice music playing and they get tickled to death. It's very humane. And they come out chopped up into pieces and you're like, yep, humane, you know, or the fish don't feel pain. You know, that they're the biggest, they're the, in terms of animals, in terms of species, the fish species are the most exploited and killed on the entire earth. And we're led to believe that none of them feel pain when they all do. It's actually scary that so many people believe these lies, and I did as well, because those they're the kind of myths that are put out there that make people not care about the suffering of others. So before we jump into what these lies, you know, actually are and, and what the animals are being put through, let's just go back to your health. You said you, you had cancer. Can you, can you walk us through that? What was, what was that like? And, and, and how do, how was that diagnosed? Yeah, it was, it was intense, man. I suffered a lot during that. So basically it started with a small lump in my neck and within weeks that had turned to golf ball sized lumps, about 13 of them in my neck. Some in my, under my arms and in my groin, they were my lymph nodes. They were very swollen. They weren't sure what was going on. They thought maybe I had glandular fever and then they got in the way of my breathing. So I ended up going to hospital because of that. They took one out from under my arm. Then days later, and I'm still feeling good. I'm doing push ups and chin ups in there. I was feeling fine. I was 17, like I said. Then on this Friday, I've been in there about four or five days, they all come in, a bunch of doctors and nurses, and they're like, yo, you've actually got cancer. And wow. got the weekend to go and you know do what you want to do. But on Monday, we've got to start treatment or you're going to be dead in like six weeks. What, what kind of cancer was it? Acute lymphoblastic leukemia and T-cell lymphoma. Oh, God. That, that must have just been absolutely, completely scary. And I mean, what, what was going through your mind at that stage? At that moment basically i didn't really understand the gravity of it so for me i was just kind of like whoa because i'd had a bit of time off school because of what was going on i was like man i'm so glad i didn't and this was in the christmas holidays right so i was like man i'm so glad i didn't do all those assessment tasks i was supposed to do because i just kept putting off to my mom i was like no i'm not doing it you know what if this is serious pointing to these lumps kind of joking and then i was like shit i'm glad i didn't do all that waste all that time in my holidays doing all that English papers and all that shit. So that's pretty much what went through my head. And then a bit later, I was like, oh, this is actually full on. But I honestly never thought it was going to kill me. Like there was definitely, and there was some very close moments. There was times where the doctors thought, you know, if I'd have stopped at one more traffic light on the way racing the hospital, I'd probably be dead. I got pneumonia, which nearly killed me. I had really bad reactions to some of the chemotherapy drugs, which, you know, I was literally screaming in agony in the hospital. Felt like a knife was being dragged up my spine every minute or so. And like my legs had been beaten with baseball bats kind of thing. And just, you know, being stuck in that hospital room for weeks on end, not really being able to see anyone or have visitors or want them. 
I put on 25 kilos, like so quick, man, that it actually ripped the skin on my sides. And these stretch marks that I got so quickly, they actually bled. I got this rash over my whole body. My hair fell out. I had tubes coming out of me all the time. I was always feeling like shit, mad headaches and just sick, like just unwell, dude, just a full on sick, dying person, basically. So yeah, it was bad. Uh, what what was the the sort of treatment duration like? How how long were you going through that until you, I guess you, you know, I'm assuming now you're in remission and and you got over it. How long how long did it take for you to to come out the other side? I was on the heavy duty chemo, which they gave me a twenty percent chance of living through that for six months. Then I had three months off. And then I started a maintenance chemotherapy program, which was once a week for the next two years. So it was long. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got through that because the world need, the world <laughs> needs more, more people that are, that are doing what you're doing. So I agree. Thanks, man. I'm personally super grateful for that. I'm actually super grateful for the whole experience, bro, because I really learned a lot through that and it really changed my perspective of life. You know, before that, I was just cruising through. And after that, I really thought, wow, this is a precious miracle that we are experiencing right now just to exist on earth in this universe and be able to think and feel and, you know, do things. It just, I just really actually appreciated my life a lot more. And it made me more deliberate about what I chose to do with my time, knowing that it could come to an end anytime, but it definitely was going to come to an end one day. And if I was lucky, maybe it would be in a hundred years and that's still not very long. So yeah, it really shifted my perspective in a big way. You know, from a, from a personal experience at my end, and it's, it's very different to yours. Whilst I wasn't in hospital, I, you know, I saw my father go through cardiovascular disease, had a heart attack. I then read all the information on cardiovascular disease and, and looking at the studies that show, you know, the types of diets, which are a low fat, whole plant-based food diets, which can reverse or, or you know, prevent heart disease. And yeah. once I knew that information, I was in a similar position to you where I just was like, you know, my, my life and my health is so important to me. It's everything to me that I had no other decision but to completely change my diet. That's um, awesome, man. And then you get compelled to want to spread the spread the good word because this can help. You know, like heart disease is the number one killer. The only diet proven to reverse heart disease in the majority of patients is a whole foods, plant-based diet. That's very important information that a lot of people are not aware of. They're aware of the opposite. They think if they get on this plant-based diet, this life-saving plant-based diet, that they'll die and have all these deficiencies and only be eating lettuce and not be able to get out of bed in the morning and not get enough protein or iron and all this crap. And it's like, no, man, what you won't be getting is cholesterol, the thing that's going to kill you. This is the diet for you. This is the diet for everyone. Do, do you know what I, I find I find funny? And I was thinking about this the other day is that, you know, and I don't have hard statistics on this. So, you know, someone might send me a message about this afterwards, but I think you know, the majority of, of vegans, particularly if they're coming from a health angle, they seek a superior level of health to the average person who is out there. And, you know, the average person who is out there isn't talking so much about their health and how they're feeling. You know, they're tired. They might be tired in the morning or lethargic, but they or they might be, you know, getting treated for cardiovascular disease, but they just think it's normal. They think it's a part of life. Oh, yeah, totally. Whereas because 
a lot of these, you know, vegans out there, plant-based people, especially now coming through, are seeking that superior level of health. You're seeing them talk more about health, talk more about nutrients and vitamins, and that the it's great, but the spinoff is that people look at veganism and go, oh, you need to be more conscious of all your nutrients and vitamins if you, if you have a vegan diet. But in reality, you don't really need to be. It's just that the type of people that are adopting it are really, really seeking information. You know, veganism is, you know, it's, a, it's different than a whole foods plant-based diet. You can be vegan and eat Oreos and cake and burgers and pizza and pasta and whatever. Like you can... You can eat all the unhealthy foods, not the pasta or whatever, some of that's not unhealthy, but you can eat all the vegan junk food and be vegan. But if you want to be your ultimate health, you should be eating whole food, plant-based diet. But I still think like some people think, oh, if I go vegan, I have to eat this way and be very healthy. And it's like, no, 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 we've got you covered as well. You just, as long as you just don't want to pay for people to be stabbing animals in the throat kind of thing and be killing all these animals unnecessarily then you can be vegan. You only need to agree with that one concept that unnecessary harm to animals is wrong. Then every single body is welcome. Everybody who just agrees with what's happening is wrong. So yeah, you can be healthy vegan or unhealthy vegan. Who cares? As long as you're just not, you know, your personal choices stop being personal when they cause the suffering of another individual. But as long as you're making personal choices, you can choose to be healthy or unhealthy. Who cares? It's a great point. Now, you overcame the cancer. When did you start to think about animals and, and becoming an animal activist and, and speaking sort of on behalf or amplifying the voice of the animals? Not until I was 26. I was working on a cruise ship and just giving speeches on health and things like that. And then I met this dude who I really admired because he was a very intelligent guy and we talked a lot over the two-week duration of his cruise. And then he mentioned to me one day that eating animals is bad karma. And I said, nah, you need to eat animals to be healthy. And he said he hadn't eaten animals in like 20 years. And for me, I had barely met any vegetarians. The ones that I did meet, I was like, well, you need to eat meat. You know, I tell them all that. Anyone who wanted a meal plan from me back in the day when I was a personal trainer, I was like, yeah, I can hook you up, but it's going to have meat and eggs and dairy because that's what you need to eat to be healthy. So I really was, I thought I knew what I was talking about with, with nutrition but I really didn't. And then I, this guy inspired me to just try being a vegetarian for seven days, which I did. And I felt great. And I really enjoyed the food, which totally shocked me. It wasn't hard at all. And then I watched the documentary Earthlings, which is a graphic documentary that shows all the things that happens to animals before they become these neatly wrapped packages on the supermarket shelf. It's very violent and brutal. And it's, it's a lot of suffering, man. It's hard to watch. But I sat myself through that. And then I realized, man, if, you know, cause what I'd done since going vegetarian, I was like, I feel good. Maybe I can make this, make this a more permanent thing. You know, I'd like to feel like this more, more often. And I look into the health benefits. I realized, whoa, there's so many health benefits to this. And I had just been closed off to it the whole, my whole career because there was no way I was ever going to not be a meat eater. Like it just, I'd rather die young. Kind of thing. That what, was, what, what, do, what, do you remember back then, like what you thought of vegans or, or the vegan diet? I literally didn't think of vegans. I just thought it was unhealthy. And if you were doing it, it was unnecessary. I, c- I could understand vegetarians, but because I didn't understand that there was exploitation and cruelty in the egg or dairy industry, I couldn't understand why vegans just, it, I thought it was just a choice, and not an ethical choice, just a lifestyle choice that for some reason you choose to abstain from 
animal products. I didn't think there was an ethical implication. I just thought it was a, a weird thing people did. I didn't, I didn't understand that it was a matter of justice and, or that there was, you know, cruelty inherently in every single animal product because all, even the most free range organic grass fed farm, they all end up at a slaughterhouse and these beings should not be deemed as property. We don't get to own other species just because we're more dominant than them. So the whole, the whole system, the whole idea behind it is this wrong superiority complex that humans are superior over them. And that's where the oppression begins when we put a property status on them and when we exploit them for what comes out of or from their bodies. So yeah, when I, I never, I just thought it was this unnecessary thing, but initially I went vegetarian for the health because I, I saw there were so many health benefits. I watched earthlings. I saw how much violence is involved in the whole system. And because I was always striving to be a good person, man, like I was far from perfect. I still am, but you know, I try not to just obvious things. Like I wasn't violent and I wouldn't steal and I wouldn't do, I wouldn't try to be a nasty person. I always try to be a good, peaceful compassionate person and like I was a personal trainer because I wanted to help people and I was passionate about that and when I saw what was being done to the animals because I was creating a demand for these products I just couldn't justify it I thought how can I pay for this to happen when I know that I don't need to when I know that I can thrive by just eating plant foods you know fruits vegetables nuts grains seeds and legumes so because I couldn't have any justification I was like shit this is actually something I'm doing for an ethical reason now not just because of the health benefits but that, that just got me vegetarian for the animals. And it was a while longer before I went vegan for the animals because it still took me a while. Even after watching Earthlings, I still thought, nah, not all dairy must be like that. Not all eggs must come from these places when actually the vast majority of them come from hell holes. And regardless, the point that I hadn't made yet, the realization I hadn't made yet was that regardless of how nicely they're treated, how many belly scratches they get, they all get sent to the slaughterhouse and the slaughterhouse is a, I mean, there's no nice way to take the life of somebody who doesn't want to die. That's called murder. So there's no nice way to murder, man. And when I realized that later on in the convo, you know, later on in the situation, that's when I realized being vegan was the, the only way for me to live because anything else was me just picking and choosing which animals am I going to be nice to, which animals am I going to pay to have killed for me? You know, which types of violence am I okay with? Which types of violence am I against? It's like, I'm trying to be against all violence. Yeah, I'm trying to be against all animal cruelty. It doesn't make sense to just yeah. be a vegetarian. You know, you just, you might as well go the whole way. And that doesn't mean that you do it overnight. You can, but you just strive towards it. And the more you learn, the better you do. And you keep moving and you're making more changes. And before you know it, you're like, cool, I'm vegan now. and never felt better and it's easy. And I, man, it's just the best thing ever. Now, you, you took a year of silence, which, you know, you're sort of famously known for now. What, what sparked that? What, when did you decide, you know what, I need, to, I need to not talk for an entire year to raise some more awareness here? Yeah, when I got off the cruise ship, I got home and I, this Indian dude, actually, the guy who told me eating animals is bad karma, he also was telling me about meditation, which I had dabbled with. And I knew of this course you could do called Vipassana, which is a 10-day silent meditation, meaning that you don't speak the entire period and you meditate like 10, 11 hours each day for the, for the 10 days. So I go to this place, I meditated, I'm five days deep and I'd been vegetarian for like three months. 
And I have this feeling come over me that was really strong and it made me, I was like, what the hell's going on in my body? It was just this strong sensation while I was meditating. And then I thought about it. I thought, I think that was my body trying to get me to speak because it's been five days. I started wondering how long somebody could go without speaking. And then I thought, man, imagine going a whole year. I could actually do that to raise awareness for something I care about. That's not a bad idea, you know? And I thought, what do I care about? And I was passionate about human health and things like that, which I had been for a long time. But my newfound passion for animals strongly trumped that because what I feel like I had become aware of was the longest standing Holocaust ever. And these victims, uh, we're talking about 8 billion victims every single day. It's beyond comprehension how many slaughters, how much. 8 billion. 8 billion, 8,000 million every day. It's just even hard to comprehend that number. It's impossible, dude, which is a big problem, you know, because it's so many lives every day that your brain almost just doesn't even bother trying. And that's it sucks because, dude, like this whole world is just built around the slaughter of animals. Nearly every single human is contributing to that, is purchasing those products. And most of them aren't violent people. So it's, I've got a lot of hope. I've got a lot of optimism, but currently things are extremely bad and the future is looking grim in certain ways because, you know, like they estimate that the fish will be, sorry, the ocean will be empty of fish by 2048 and things like that. But as well, there's this new awareness spreading of, hey, we have a better way to live. It's just as easy. It's healthier. It's better for the planet. And you don't need to kill animals to survive. You know, this is 2018. So, man, that number like is a, is a big deal for each individual. That's a lot of individual suffering. I thought like, well, man, this, you know, this is my new like passion only because it's just, it's so important. And I felt like I discovered this huge secret and I tell animal lovers about it and they're like, Oh, don't tell me, like, don't spoil my dinner. I'm going, what are you talking about, man? This is like a really, big deal, especially if you're an animal lover. I don't even really love animals that much, but I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm working towards vegan. And I just, you know, the more I learned about the health, I thought this is just something so important that so many people can benefit from for as little action as just moving your arm across at the supermarket and getting the soy or rice or almond milk instead of the cow's milk. Like it's such small changes, such easy changes for us to make that save so many lives, that reduce so much suffering, that improve our health so much, that's so much better for the planet. So I thought maybe I could do this vow science to raise awareness for animals. And the more I studied, the more I realized, yeah, like if a year of science will help some people make this connection, then how could I not do it? I felt, I was very grateful that I'd had this idea. I thought it could be, you know, it could be worthwhile trying and maybe not, maybe I'd fail, but it was worth a try. So yeah, that's where it came from, bro. And over over that year, you were, were you blogging or journaling and, and what what were your, I guess, key learnings? Like so much time not talking, you were no doubt thinking a lot in your own mind. What what came out of that time to yourself? Yeah, I was blogging almost every day. That was the idea. So the point of the vow of science wasn't just be silent for you. It was to that the vow of science was to draw attention to my Facebook page and my Instagram. People would go, oh, there's this interesting thing happening. But that was the idea. Hopefully people would find it interesting or intriguing because I don't think, you know, I personally had never heard of anybody else doing an extended vow of silence like that before. I thought maybe other people would find it interesting. They'll come and I'm traveling around Australia. So some other people might think that that's interesting. And what I was doing is blogging about my journey, being voiceless, the places I was going, the people I was meeting. 
but I was also visiting a lot of factory farms, like at night, doing animal liberations, attending actions, sharing recipes, sharing health information, sharing the stories of these individuals that were sending to their deaths. And I blogged nearly every single day. I also cycled across Australia from Darwin to Sydney just to prove that you can be a healthy, strong person on a plant-based diet. And yeah, I did that solo, man, that I don't know how long it took, maybe like three or four weeks or something I did it in. Where were you sleeping? Were you camping or what yeah, were you camping? Yeah, just on the side of the road, man. I Really hot. So I'd only cycle at night and I'd, I'd start at about five in the Arvo and go for maybe six hours or something like that. And then I'd just set up a little one-man tent and I'd sit there throughout the day chilling in the middle of wherever I was, usually the middle of nowhere, and barely see a car or another human. And then night would come and I'd start riding again. It was hard, dude. Yeah, I mean, it must have been extremely challenging, but I guess, you know, somewhat peaceful. If you're not going to talk, it was, it was probably a blessing in disguise to sort of be away from a, a lot of crowds. People yeah, by that point, for sure, because I'd been doing it already for nearly the whole year and I was just well and truly tired of playing charades. It was hard. <laughs> I was finding it hard to communicate, especially with this message. But on the flip side, one cool thing that happened because of the vow science is that every person that asked me, why are you voiceless? Why aren't you speaking? It gave me an opportunity to give them a card or give them, you know, let them see my shirt or give them literature or I had a bunch of DVDs and just, you know, or have body language conversations or write it down and just tell them I've taken this vow of silence to raise awareness for the voiceless victims of this planet, the animals. Do you know that we can live and thrive without eating animals? Do you know what happens inside a slaughterhouse? You know, and just sort of ask these questions to get people thinking. So everybody that met me, you know, they asked, feel like at least some seeds were planted, but and I, and I learned a lot through that vow. You know, one thing that was cool is when I started speaking again, I didn't know this had happened at all through the year, but because I was deliberately trying to shorten everything I wanted to say and make it as concise as possible, because the more body language you did, the easier it was for people to lose what you were saying. And there was just a lot more work. So I'd be very concise as possible. And what I realized when I started speaking again is that I'm talking and I'm like, there's something different happening here. And there was this kind of other area before my thoughts would become words. There was this other little platform, this waiting area where it would all just sort of, just like a moment, a moment extra. But that little moment extra just did this kind of sorting of my thoughts and just set it out of my mouth a little bit differently than before, which was this weird, weird thing that I wasn't expecting. Um, so that was kind of a cool thing. And, you know, I learned some things about know just how to communicate this message and um, what was working what wasn't and the day I started that vow was the day I went vegan before that I was trying to be but I was still slipping up with certain things you know if someone was going to throw their food away like oh hang on I'll have it don't throw it then I just got to a point where I was like you know what I don't want to condone this at all or make this seem like this is okay by eating it it, it, I don't want to put it in my body either it's not healthy I don't I just don't want that bad energy inside of me either you know so because there's this and, cool quote, actually. I want to tell you this one quote. There's this cool quote that helped me a lot. It's that the consumption of animal products extinguishes the seed of great compassion. And that got me to a point where I was just like, yeah, I never want this this product of fear and suffering and killing inside my body. And, I mean, that's super powerful. Coming Coming to the end of the year, what were the first words that you said? What came out of your mouth? All right, so... I spent 10 days in meditation figuring out what I wanted to say because I'd lined up an interview on Australia's most popular morning TV show, Sunrise, to speak my first words. So when they said, what did you do this for? 
I just said, I took the vow of silence to raise awareness for the animals. We say we love animals and we're against animal cruelty, yet we pay people to mutilate and torture and slaughter them. And it's not because we need to for our health, it's because we like the way they taste. So I went voiceless because they're voiceless, I thought. But then I realized they're not actually voiceless. They cry in pain, they scream in terror. When they do that, they're communicating with us. They're telling us that they're suffering. Problem is that we're not listening because they're covered in feathers or scales or wings or fur. So we don't take their suffering seriously. And I did this to raise awareness for the way I've been living my life. I'm vegan, which means I don't consume any animal products. I don't support animal exploitation. I wanted to show people through my journey how easy that is, how healthy that is, how delicious the food is. And if you agree, unnecessary violence towards animals is wrong, that it's the right way for you to live too. That's what I said. That interview was seen, I think, tens of millions of times, definitely well over 10 million. In fact, just on my YouTube channel in the last few months, it's got another like four or five million. So, and that was for over four years ago. So yeah, it really reached a lot of people, which was the whole idea, man. I was happy. I set out on that vow, just like if one person has one less stake, you know, I tried and I'm happy. And yeah, it really inspired a lot of people to go vegan. It also ironically gave me a voice that people wanted to hear. They wanted to know the story. They wanted to know about the vow and what I did. So I started traveling around, just telling, telling my speech, telling my story to everybody. I did I think I've done now nearly like 500 speeches all for free, just trying to spread the love, man. You're, I mean, you're doing all that for free. How are you, how are you managing to fund, you know, the travel and, and spreading this amazing message? How are you, are you self-funding that? Like, you know, how are you making money to live? Yeah, I self-funded my whole trip around Australia. I didn't want anyone to question, oh, he just wants a free holiday or something like that. I... Gave all my speeches for free. There were times where it was very, like I was had no money. So I started doing personal training again, but it just felt so like I wasn't supposed to be there, man, you know. Not your purpose. Yeah. No, I don't want to help someone lose a few kilos. I'd rather help animals not get their heads cut off, you know, like and end this massive circle of death that they're continuously raped back into existence of they. They come back again and again and again. We keep breeding them so we can just kill them over and over and over. But I just, I just couldn't do the personal training anymore, man. I really am glad I didn't have to because my friend, you know, I was doing my speeches for free and paying for a lot of them out of my pocket, the travel expenses. Thinking at that point, I didn't know if I was ever going to get asked to do another speech again. Now I'm like turning down offers because I've got a full schedule all the time. But back then I was like, wow, somebody asked me to do a speech on veganism. Like I'm, I'll travel anywhere. If there's a small crowd, who cares? They're going to listen to me talk about this for an hour. This is going to be amazing. I started doing that. And then when I realized I need something to support myself, one of my friends offered to help me design, or she helped me do the production of a T-shirt that I designed that says animals are not property objects, slaves, machines. And yeah, I sold that shirt at all the speeches I went to. I started asking people to cover my flights if there were flights or my um, petrol expenses and I, I've done that ever since man so now it's at a point where if people want me to speak then I'll go anywhere I don't charge but I need my flights covered and I need somewhere to stay I'm happy I've stayed in all kinds of weird places dude like but I'm happy to stay pretty much anywhere I just come and do that and What's helping me now, the reason why I still can do this and not charge is that I started a Patreon account, which is a way for the people who support me and my work 
to donate a little bit of money that is a monthly donation. So a lot of people donate a dollar or two dollars or whatever, which is basically, you know, it's insignificant. No one's going to miss, most people aren't going to miss a dollar or two a month. But when, when all these people that support my work that have been inspired by something I did or some content that I created or put out there, when they all kind of, a bunch of them get together and all donate a dollar or two a month, that really goes a long way, man. And that helps me just not have to stress about going and being a personal trainer again. I can just focus on this with all of my time and energy, which is exactly what I do. So that's a, an amazing platform, man. It's an amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. They've, it's absolutely incredible that, you know, like, like you said, and I'm going to have the, the link to your page in the show notes. If, if people love the cause, that an artist or a creator or an activist or, or someone that is out there and they're the voice and they're sacrificing, you know, you're, you're sacrificing your time to this amazing message and you are because you're not going and working a nine to five and, and putting your energy into, you know, whatever career that would be. You are dedicating your life to this and that's, that's why Patreon is so amazing that you, we can allow people like you to actually dedicate all of your time or most of your time to such an amazing cause. Yeah. And, and dude, I want every activist to be getting paid for being an activist. I wish everybody could get enough money to support them on Patreon. And at this point, not everybody does, but anybody that can, I think they totally should. If people are willing to support them, it's just an option. I'm not saying, Hey, you have to donate in order for me to give a speech or in order for, to be able to subscribe to my Instagram. All my content is free. My speeches are free. My time is free. But if you want to support me continuing doing that, here's an option and it's only an option. So I think, yeah, why not? If people want to, they want to. And if they don't, that's totally fine. I'll find another way. But it's a really great tool, man, a really great innovation of technology and crowdfunding that we can get behind people who we believe in, who are helping a lot of people, in this case, helping a lot of people go vegan or move in that direction or even do more activism. I think that's a really great thing to support along with all the other, there's a lot of things to support, man. Like, and a couple of dollars here and a couple of dollars there really goes a long way. So I think that, um, you know, we should, because not everyone can go out and be an activist, especially not full time. And a lot of people wish they could do more. And, you know, there's lots of things we can do. And this is again, just one option, keeping someone in the job who, is who they believe is making a difference. And yeah, who's being heard. Yeah. So we spoke about Dominion earlier and, and I want to go through, you know, where this footage is, has mainly been taken and, and in detail we'll go through, you know, some of the, I guess, the most common um, animals that end up on a plate and we can, we can talk about what's happening to those animals and what they're put through. But I think a good starting point on this is, a term which is sort of quite readily used, and, and no doubt in, in Dominion it is on social media, but I'd like, to, I'd like you to, to define it so that all the listeners are really clear. Can you explain what a sentient being actually means? Yeah, that's a great question. A sentient being is an individual who is aware of their own existence. So that's the difference between an animal and a plant. A plant, to the best of our knowledge, exists and responds to stimuli but there's not necessarily someone in there. There's not an individual in that plant. You know, they just exist and grow and respond in different ways, but not in a way where they are 
aware that they're responding or existing. You know, it's just a, it's a lower form of intelligence. As far as we are aware, maybe one day we'll go, whoa, plants actually this and that, whatever. But at this point, that's, that's the general consensus. So sentient beings are just like you and I, man. Every animal, every animal with a brain, with a heart is a sentient being. I mean, unless they're, they're severely handicapped in, in some sort of way. For example, if they're in a coma, are they necessarily sentient during that coma? I'm not, I'm not actually 100% sure, although I can, I can foresee that there'd be certain situations where that term may not apply. But as a general rule, for the most part, every single bird, every single fish, every single cow, pig, chicken, they're all sentient beings. They all exist. They, they live, they make choices, they react to their environment. They, you know, some of them plan ahead. Some of them use tools. They, they coexist with their environment in a way that shows that they are aware of basically what's going on with them and around them. Okay, so the, the environment, and that brings us into what the, the footage in Dominion. Is this representative of what is happening in, in Australia? What Dominion is based on, basically, apart from a few random clips where it's stated on the documentary, the whole movie is from Australia, slaughterhouses and factory farms inside Australia and also fish farms. They collected this footage over seven years, and this is a two-hour documentary, birth to death of many of the animals, the most exploited. They could have made, Chris told me, the director, Chris Delfors, he told me he could have made 200 documentaries on each slaughterhouse they visited. This is where, yeah, this is where the vast majority, I'm talking like over 97% of animal products in Australia come from. that's meat, dairy, eggs, all animal products. This is, this is the, the factory farming. So I'm talking about big sheds with either cages or it's just one big cage with tens of thousands of animals. And yeah, it, this just is basically the general, most common by far form of animal agriculture. We, we mentioned the number of before being, you know, 8 billion animals slaughtered uh, a day. If, if we just go through, I'd like, to, I'd like to go through sort of from, I guess, pigs to cows to chickens. And if we start, start with pigs, you know, what, what, what are these pigs going through in order for pork to end up on the plate? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, first of all, the, for one of these animals to give birth, they don't just naturally mate. You know, they are confined, they're restrained, and then they're forcibly impregnated. Some people will take issue with describing that as rape, but if that happened to a human, that is exactly what we would call it. And some people might say, well, the intention is different, you know, but really, I don't think personally that whether you intend whether you're raping for this reason or that reason, if you are restraining someone and these animals are someone's, they're not things, they're individuals with their own heart and brain. If you are restraining someone and then shoving things inside their anus or their vagina and injecting them with semen, that is, man, like that is one of the most disgusting things you could do. In with a lot of animals, that would be called bestiality, a form of bestiality, but in the dairy industry and the pig industry, in the you know, in the animal agriculture industries, that is just business as usual. That's 
a standard day on a dairy farm, for example, the pigs, that's how they're born, right? So that's their, that's their, that's how they're conceived, I should say. When they're born, it's often in on, onto these metal slates in this factory farm. Now the mother will be in a crate, like a, with metal bars, like a small cage, so small that all she can do is stand up and lie back down. She can't even turn around. She's in there for a few months. This area. Is, is she, is she let out at all? Or that's, that's just where she stays? Nah, not during this stage of her life. She's in there for a long time, man, stuck there. When she gives birth to her babies, it's in this huge, filthy environment. I've been to a lot of these places and you'll see it if you watch any of these documentaries, but she gives birth to them. There's a lot of complications often. Sometimes because, like for example, I was, was in a factory farm once. I hear this pig screaming, this little baby. So we run to see what's going on. And this mother has squashed her baby in between the cage and the mother's body. And the baby's up with the legs running, but she's not on the floor and she's just been crushed to death. And we like got her out on that. But a lot of the time they don't get lucky. Like someone's not there and they get crushed to death by their mother because there's nowhere for them to move. They're these tiny little piglets with this huge mother, very heavy mother. So, you know, things like that happen all the time. Or they get their little legs stuck through the, the grated metal and they're stuck there. They can't move. It gets very sore and they suffer a lot. They get castrated without pain relief. So they get pushed into this kind of cone shape with the, the tip of the cone is cut off so that their head can come through that. And then their genitals are exposed and they slice it open and they rip it out with their hand. They just rip it out. It's very mm. brutal. No anesthesia. They cut their teeth out. So they don't bite into each other because the confinement can lead to stress, which can lead to that type of behavior. What else do they do? They, they cut big notches in their ears so that they can identify different things about them. They do a lot of things, man. Then they keep them in this confinement. And then about six months later, they are big enough where they're ready to like lots of different things happen along the way. But let's just, cause I don't really want to talk too much about factory farming, even though that is the biggest thing. The, the, Biggest point, because people can always say, oh, I don't get my meat from there, or that doesn't happen where I'm from, or this and that. And it's like, the biggest thing is the next part. The thing that really, that you can never avoid is that once they're old enough, once they're fat enough, they're sent to their death. It's not a pretty death, man. They, at the slaughterhouse, they get pushed in this crate. First of all, pigs are like the third or fourth most intelligent animal. They're very smart. They know what's going on. They can smell the blood. They can hear the screams. And I've been to countless slaughterhouse vigils, which is where we get out front of the slaughterhouse and we take footage of the pigs as they're coming in on the trucks or any animal. And these pigs are just, some of them are just terrified and exhausted and bruised and beaten. As you imagine, this is how your, your job is to make animals do what you want. A lot of the time, they don't want to do what you want them to do. So mm. these, these people get frustrated and they hit them, they beat them, you know, they stab them, they poke their eyes out, they cut their snouts off. All these uh, documented acts that have taken place and a lot of these similar types of abuses are quite common. Again, regardless whether that happened or not, they're going to a slaughterhouse. Now, in Australia, the most humane method described as the most humane method is a gas chamber. So they're pushed into this chute and then they're pushed into this cage, this metal cage. And then the door closes and it's 
quite dark. They get dropped down, two or three of them, depending on their size, into this chamber. The gas starts. And soon later, they start gasping for breath. They start feeling the terror of basically death approaching. And they thrash and they scream. They smash their heads side to side on the cages. They're beating themselves up, man. They're literally terrified. Like This is for pigs, right? This is just, I'm just talking about pigs still. This and is, this, is, this could be free range. This could be anything free range. This is the most free range. This is the most, anyone, any of those animals, free range, grass fed, whatever, yeah. end up at the same slaughterhouse, humanely slaughtered. And when you say the same slaughterhouse, like literally the same slaughterhouse? Yes. Yes. Like, they can totally, that is totally possible. Unless there's no other farms around and then maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like if there's, let's say the only farm around is this, but no, nah, like they all just go to the same place. You, you've been given organic feed, so they're organic or whatever. They um, have live in an area that legally is defined as free range or that, although often that means next to nothing for these animals and it's just a label to make consumers feel better. But they all join in the same spot, the same slaughterhouse, mm. man. And then they'll, they'll get pushed into the street. They, you should see this footage of them getting gassed to death, you know, and like people say, oh, how, how dare you describe this as a holocaust? It's like, but this is a Holocaust. I'm not saying that it's the same or worse. It's a different Holocaust, but it is still a Holocaust. It's a mass genocide of innocent beings. That's what a Holocaust is. And there's 8 billion victims a day of this animal Holocaust that's going on. And it's because we see them as less than us. We see them as inferior to us to the point that we can do whatever we want to them, even gas them to death and call it humane. You know, to, to determine whether something is humane, you put yourself in that situation and ask yourself, how would you like it? Would you like to be humanely gassed to death? Would you like to be humanely stabbed in the throat or humanely killed in any way? Of course not. So how dare we describe it as that when it's to those who cannot, you know, speak up for themselves and say no, even though they're doing that, they're screaming, like their body language is universal. They respond just how a human would if they were put in this situation, screaming, gasping, frightened, and all the same things happen. The, the carbon dioxide affects them in a similar way to what happens to a human. They pass out in the stunning and then they get stabbed in the throat. The same blood still gushes from their throat. You know, they, they get sprayed all over the wall and then they go through the process of being having their hair taken off and being chopped up into pieces and having their guts pulled out and then next thing you know, it's on the supermarket shelf. This is like a morgue. And when it's like, oh, yum, you know, bacon, all this and that. It's like, no, this is a murder victim's body parts that you are eating. And you say you love animals. And if you saw someone actually do it to a pig, you would go over there and probably punch a person in the face or do whatever you got to do to save the pig. But so like you are an animal lover. You, you understand the concept of justice and right and wrong, but yet you pay for it to happen. You created demand. And that is why it happens. So that's the most beautiful thing about everything we're talking about right now. We can totally eradicate this entire system easily if all we do is just choose the plant-based products, choose the plant-based foods. And there's so many options now. Dude, we bought vegan bacon at the same <laughs> supermarket. Like, Just go to the different aisle. It's not hard. Get the vegan milk, get the vegan cheese, get the vegan ice cream. Even if you don't have those foods, there's millions of delicious recipes made from just plant-based fruits, you know, that 
You can still make curries. You can still make pastas. You can still make pizzas. You can still make burritos, nachos. You can still make all these incredible, tasting, delicious, satisfying, filling foods. Nobody has to die for it. Nobody, we don't need to slit throats in 2018. Now, I just want, I just want to recap a couple of points that you made there because I think it's really, really important. I used to be that guy who would walk into the store, you know, talking five, 10 years ago, I'd walk in there and I'd buy the free range eggs. I'd buy the organic grass fed beef or whatnot. But what you're saying is when you look at the pretty packaging and you see free range or you see organic or whatnot, essentially that stops at the gate of the farm. And once they leave that farm and they're in that truck, where, where they're taken and what happens to those animals is exactly the same as any other conventionally farmed animal. Absolutely. But let's just say that they went to some other special slaughterhouse, okay? And let's say that this was a more humane slaughterhouse where what happened when they got there is they were maybe injected with this thing or they ate this magic pill or something and they just peacefully died in their sleep. Does that happen or not? That doesn't happen. No, man, that does not exist. Not at all. But let's say it did. It's still murder. It's still slaughtering. They're still robbing these individuals of their greatest gift of their life. If I go and if my brother who I love, who, you know, I love my bro, man, like these farmers, I love my animals. Okay, well, I love my brother. If I kill him in his sleep and he doesn't feel a thing and I do it in the most humane way as possible, am I going to still go down for murder in the court of law? Yes, of course, because no matter how you kill someone who doesn't want to die, you still did the wrong thing because they didn't want to die. And if I pay somebody to do that killing for me, I am equally responsible for that murder. And that is simply just the court of, that's the law in our country. That makes perfect sense to me. You pay for someone else to do it, you might as well have done it yourself. You might as well be the one at the slaughterhouse. And those, those guys that you're, you're speaking about who are at the slaughterhouse and, and are, you know, are, are working in there and essentially killing the animals. Have you spoken to any of them? Do they become immune to their job? You know, what, what, what are they, what are they like to speak to? Yeah, I have spoke to some of the slaughterhouse workers. Man, in fact, some of them have become vegan activists since doing that job. You know, those people are also victims of a society that has taught them that this is natural and normal and necessary. And they go to do this job and they're being paid to cut the throats of animals or push these animals into gas chambers all day, every day. That is an emotionally taxing job. It is also the job with the highest rate of injuries and worker turnover. Also, there are studies that show that the places in the surrounding areas of slaughterhouses have higher rates of violent crime, suicide, and drug abuse. So this isn't an easy job to do, man. And some of the people that I've spoken to have turned to alcohol, stopped being able to eat because of just working in such a disgusting, violent environment every single day, and Mm. also decided, you know, they've made the connection as well. And they got a lot of guilt about what they did. They didn't know what they were doing. They were just kind of brainwashed. No, this is just how things are. And we've always done this. And then later they're like, oh my God, you mean I never had to do that? We can live and thrive on a plant-based diet, you know? Whoa. I think it's important, you know, just to note that like these people aren't necessarily bad people. A lot of them probably just, fall, they probably just fall into this line of work of and course. they think it's normal. It's job. Isn't it crazy that someone who can be actually physically doing that themselves can potentially still not draw the connection until later on? Well, I just put myself in that position and I think I would have just gone, 
I, I probably could have done that job. You know, I wouldn't have liked it, but I reckon I probably could have done it because I would have just said they don't matter. They're inferior. They're, they're not intelligent. And this is what we have to do to survive. So I'm just providing food for people and I don't feel bad about that. That's what I would have told myself. That's probably what a lot of them tell themselves. The, the problem, the root of this whole issue that we're talking about is speciesism, which is discriminating against other species because basically they look different to us. They got feathers or wings or scales and they look different. So we, we don't take their suffering seriously, like I mentioned earlier, but when you realize that they are people, they are non-human people, and you make that connection that there actually is no trait that humans possess and animals don't possess that does make us any more special. That just doesn't exist. We are just another species of animal. Humans are animals too. A lot of people, myself included for a long time, thought that there was animals and then there was humans and we were some other totally special thing. But no, we're just one species of millions and the reason why we have done very special things, because yes, of course, in some ways we are superior. We can create technology and we can adapt to our environment like no other species can, you could argue. And we, you know, just, we can manipulate things and what we can do, but does that mean our lives are more valuable? Well, that's just basically putting it on intelligence and saying, does somebody with a higher IQ, does that make their life more valuable than someone with a lower IQ? And the answer is no. And the answer is an even bigger no when the question is, I have a very high IQ. Does that mean I can exploit you and abuse you and kill you and use you for my own means? And the answer is no again. And that's what people have done throughout history. That's what happened to black people at the hands of white people and, and different forms of slavery as well. But that's one of the more recent ones that everyone you know is very well aware of, that white people believe they were superior and therefore black people were enslaved by them and forced to do what these people, these slave owners wanted them to do. And if they didn't comply, they would be disciplined and killed. And that is what they did that because they had a different color skin, man. You know, so it's a little bit, it's easy to realize why so many people do it with other animals. They, they don't think about what we share, which is we have a heart, a brain, we breathe, we eat, we sleep, we have families, we communicate. We have blood, we have bones, we have, you know, all the things that matter. We're just like, nah, you don't look like me, you know? And, but when you get down to when you ask yourself the questions, there is not a single trait that they do or do not possess that makes them inferior. And the reason why we've done such cool things from what I've read is that we have a complicated voice box and that gave us the ability to create a sophisticated language, which we use to pass on information from generation to generation in a very sophisticated way. And over a long period of time, we have evolved our technology and our communication and our knowledge, but that's, we, we fluked it. Like we fluked it in a way. And that doesn't, just because we were able to do that and pass it on. If you just put a human, you just, a human was born, you know, in the middle of nowhere. First of all, they need a little tribe around them because babies won't exist by themselves. And let's say you had that little tribe, are they going to just start creating iPhones and popping out all this amazing technology? Nah, it's because we, we have a way of communicating these ideas and concepts and sharing that and growing on that and evolving it over very long periods of time. Just because other animals can't do that doesn't mean that their lives do not have value or that they deserve to be enslaved or killed and turned into food products by us. And I, I think you've made it clear that 
regardless of the way the animal is farmed and, and I guess, treated during its life, while it's live, they all end up with the, the same fate. Yeah. But is there anything, we've touched on pigs, is there anything that you want to touch on in terms of cows or chicken or eggs or dairy that you think is important for people to understand or would you recommend they just watch a documentary like Dominion? I always think watching documentaries is the best because as as best as I try to describe it with all the emotion and, you know, put paint the picture, like I'm just saying words that point to it. And even if you watch it, even if you see it and you sit through two hours of the documentary Dominion, that's still nothing. That's still nothing compared to living through that experience. So I think the best thing to do if you do watch something like that is to really try to imagine if that was you in their situation. And what sucks is that it's so hard, just like it's very hard to relate to the number 8 billion because it is just so far out of any, we don't know anything like that. You know, we've never seen that number. So it's just so hard to grasp. And it's similar with the suffering they go through. How do we grasp what they're going through when most of our experiences of suffering don't come anywhere close to that? Their experience of fear and terror, of exhaustion, of pain, like most of us have never gone through anything like that. So you can only use your imagination. But I think that's a really good thing to do to try to do that. And in terms of is there anything else I want to tell you? I mean, what I, I, I can just summarize it by saying, the egg industry is at least as cruel as the dairy industry. It is at least as cruel as the meat industry and the leather industry and the wool industry and products that are tested on animals and rodeos and SeaWorld. It's all wrong, man. They do not deserve any of this. So anything that comes from animal, any type of animal exploitation is a form of abuse. And yeah, some places torture their animals before they kill them and some of them actually do. The farmers do create nice bonds and love their animals before they kill them. doesn't matter. There's no right way to do the wrong thing and a lesser of two evils is still evil. And the most important point to keep coming back to is that we can get every single essential nutrient we need from a plant-based diet. It's easy to be vegan in 2018. We have all the information. We have the accessibility of the foods. We have support networks. I mean, I'm aware that some people in the world can't do that, but for everybody that can, do it. Start moving in that direction. Let's make this world a more peaceful, compassionate, loving place with much, much less violence and less human sickness and less pollution and all the things. It's something that we have total control over through just the choices we make every day. I think you've made that super, super clear, mate. So if, if you are listening and you want, you want to, to see more of what's going on, I really do encourage you to watch Dominion or Earthlings. Cowspiracy. Exactly. Yeah. Cowspiracy, I'd recommend Forks Over Knives. Cowspiracy looks at the environmental angle and the destruction of the planet due to animal agriculture through deforestation and ocean dead zones and different things like that. And then also, Forks Over Knives, which is based on the largest study ever conducted on the relationship between nutrition and disease, which spanned for decades with tens of thousands of people with the conclusion that the optimal amount of animal products in the human diet is zero. So those three documentaries would be the ones I would highly recommend watching. And then you can go to challenge22.com, which gives you a free mentor for 22 days and you join a group and any question you have, what am I going to have for dinner? What do I do if I go to this restaurant? What, what do I do when somebody says this? There's people there just to go, yeah, try this, do that, say this. And you can also go to vegankit.com and just get a look at 
basically what it means to be vegan, how, how you go about it, what swaps you make. And it's so easy. You want vegan breakfast? Like what I would recommend people do, you know, if you don't feel like doing it overnight, me personally, and I know a lot of vegans, they went vegetarian first. And I, I think that's a good way to go. You go vegetarian for a while. When you've got that covered, you move on to being a vegan. But because so many people do that, it's clearly a path that has been tested and works very well. It works for me. It works for countless others. But a lot of people as well, they choose, they go vegan for breakfast. So it's like, all right, I'm just going to choose three breakfast recipes. I'll have oats with blueberries and maple syrup and walnuts. And I've got avocado on toast and I've got smoothie bowls. So you got three and, like, and you rotate for a bit and then go, okay, boom, what am I going to have for lunch? Okay, I'm going to have brown rice sushi with avocado and tofu. I'm going to have roast potatoes with a veggie burger. And I'm going to have like a noodle dish, a soba noodles with stir fried veggies and tempeh or something like that. Okay, you got a few. And then you go to dinner. Okay, I've got breakfast order, I've got lunch order, boom, dinner. Next thing you do, I've got to buy a jacket. Okay, I'm not going to wear somebody else's skin or their fur or their feathers. So what are my options here? And you just find the options that are made from plants or synthetic. When you're going to buy a new toothpaste, you just buy toothpaste, you look it up. So you go, let's say you shop at Woolworths or you shop at Trader Joe's. Google Trader Joe's vegan toothpaste. And when you go to the place, that's the one you get. And it's that simple. And there's really not that much more to it. Like that's a really big part of it. And uh, mate, that brings me to the next section of this podcast, which is about what on earth do we do to fix this? And in, just, just to add to what you've spoken there about the food side of things, it, it's really, it's really easy to sort of think, Oh, I'm going to have to change so much in my life. If I want to transition to a vegan diet, it's going to be restrictive. But it's, it's not restrictive and it, it actually, it opens up this whole new world of flavors and, um, options that you've never even considered because you sort of haven't, haven't needed. To. But it's as simple as just going to Google and, you know, if you love lasagna and your family loves lasagna, searching vegan lasagna. Or if, if you love tacos, search vegan tacos. There's so much free content and recipes on social media and, and there's people doing videos on YouTube. They're explaining, you know, how to do it. And, and all this information is out there for free. One of my favorite websites, Minimalist Baker. And, you know, they've got, they've got new recipes up every single day from, and they can be sweet stuff, savory stuff, breakfast, dessert, everything. So I, w- I would say don't, don't fear it. Be excited by bringing in new foods into your life because it's something that uh, I truly think once you get into it, you'll be really excited by. Totally. I used to, man, when I, when I started moving towards this, I never ate fruit. Now fruit is such a big part of what I eat and I, I love it. It's like candy, nature's candy. I never ate potatoes. Now I eat so many, all these different types of potatoes, which is such an enjoyable food to eat and so easy to cook and so cheap. I never ate oats. I never ate rice. Now I eat those foods in abundance. I was always afraid of carbs. Now I realize carbs aren't the enemy, the enemy man. It's, it's a saturated fats and animal products. That's the thing to worry about if you're worried about putting on weight and things like that. And yeah, I, I'm eating, eating beans, all these beans and different foods. And then we're creating all the same foods that we once loved, but with plant foods like burgers. And we've even got vegan meat, vegan chicken, vegan. We make tofu scramble, which is like scrambled eggs, but no cholesterol, no animals were killed. You know, the baby boys in the egg industry, because they don't produce eggs, they're macerated in a shredding device at like two days old while they're fully conscious. So you don't have to contribute to that. If I, used, I started thinking, okay, if I'm going to eat eggs, I'm going to imagine throwing one of those baby chicks into a blender 
and turning the blender on. You know, just those little things. And yeah, you should get excited. You said that so well, man. Don't fear it. Get excited about it. There's a reason why all vegans are talking about going vegan. It's because it's like the best thing. Like you feel so good. And it's not just because the food's delicious and you feel healthier and whatever. That might not even be the case. If you just go to being a junk food vegan, you might not even feel healthier. But what you are definitely doing is aligning your core values, which almost everybody has, of non-violence and compassion and respect and love. You're aligning those core values with your actions. And by making that choice and doing that, you feel different. You feel better. You feel more you. And you just shine a little brighter. And the reason why vegans are talking about this so much is because it's such a positive life transforming shift that you make that really changes your whole outlook on life and in a lot of positive ways, not just in what meals you have throughout your week, but it really kind of changes how you see things. And it's in a very positive way, very inclusive way. When you look at the animals out there, you don't just sort of see them scurrying around. You're like, well, man, you're, you're a non-human person. Like you're probably going to get food for your little baby right now. Or you're just cruising around, flying up there, having fun. You just, life is richer. The, the world is richer. And it's, it's because you don't, you can connect with them more because you don't have that kind of guilt or that blockage knowing that you're no longer putting their bodies into you and fueling your body from the violence. You're fueling it from the peace and the plants. Now, no doubt, James, there, there are listeners um, who are thinking, and, and they're probably a question that you get asked quite a bit, is around, is it sustainable for the entire world to, to go vegan? And, and where do things like clean meat or cellular meat or like insect protein, I'd love to talk about insects, whether they're considered sentient beings. You know, we see a lot of Asian cultures eating insects. Where do you sit in terms of, it's a, it's a long-winded question, but in terms of is it sustainable for the entire world to go vegan and do you see cellular meat or clean meat and, and insects being a part of any of, of the food in the future? It's the only sustainable way as far as I'm aware. I mean, what we're doing right now is quite clearly destroying things in a very big way and it's very, it's very clear that you know even the UN are pushing people towards a, a vegan diet, a vegetarian diet at the very least. China are trying to cut back on their meat consumption by 50%. That's what the government is urging. The reason they're doing that is because it is so resource intensive. It can take, it can take up to a thousand times more water to produce meat than to produce some plants that we eat. It, it actually takes about six to 12 times more food to fatten up animals. You know, we feed them, we fatten them up, we give them all this food for all these months. And what we get back from them is a tiny little bit, comparatively, six to 12 times less. So it's, it's hugely resource and land intensive. It creates vastly more pollution. The, there's more greenhouse gas emissions produced by animals, animal agriculture, especially the cows with the methane that comes out of them than by every single transportation device on the planet. So we could say, they estimate that we could end world hunger with the food we already have. We're feeding these animals a lot of food. With the food we already have, we don't need to start planting more plants. We'd need less, but we could end world hunger. Because right now there's 20,000 children dying every single day. Every single day, man, of starvation or malnutrition. 
Isn't that crazy? Even two is too many. 20,000. I can't. That was actually one of the most amazing statistics I ever 20, learned. 20,000. A day, bro. Yeah. Like that actually, yeah. Of all the numbers, that's one of the ones that shocked me the most. I thought, how can we be building stadiums and doing all this crap when that's happening? Shouldn't we all collectively just get together and end that? That is really, uh, that's a, that really for me just says we have a lot of, work to do a lot of growing to do you know we're we're far from we're far from getting things right just because we're 2018 we are still a long way off but the answer yes we could end world hunger numerous times they I, i've read between six and 13 times from different sources so that of course we could totally feed everybody on just the plants and that you know, people would be are likely the studies say that we're likely to live longer, have less heart disease, cancers, diabetes, obesity, osteoporosis, less nutrient deficiencies. You know, it's it's everybody wins, man. In terms of clean meat, does that have a place? If we can get this meat without exploiting animals, which I don't know if that exists yet, but I know that that's what they're working towards. If they can get that, then I am. I am so all for that. I cannot even tell you, man, because some people are never going to stop eating meat no matter what. And we've got already delicious vegan meats available made from plants. But even that they think is too weird or whatever, even though it's just made from plants, it has the same taste, the same texture, but it's got the word vegan associated or plant-based. So they're like, whatever. Okay, fine. For those people, if we can make actual meat without exploiting and harming any other animals, and people actually want to eat that. I think that's weird. I would have never eaten that. But if people are going to eat that because it's cheaper and it also is substantially healthier in certain aspects from what I've read because there's less, just less issues to worry about. It's made in a lab, not in a disgusting, filthy factory. So less chances of getting, um, listeria and, you know, mad cow disease and all the different kind of things that have cropped up over the years. So yeah, that then that would be amazing. And I hope that that actually exists one day and takes off. Although even better than that, I hope there's never a need for it because people just make the connection with the animals and go, no, this is a form of oppression that needs to end. And in terms of the insects, the I don't think there is a consensus on whether insects are sentient or not. I think that some people believe, some scientists believe they are, some scientists believe they are not. So personally, I just err on the side of caution. I don't deliberately kill insects unless it is in an act of self-defense. I don't think anybody should. I think we should just avoid that as well. Maybe it matters, you know, if they're sentient. Maybe it doesn't if they're not, but we don't know for sure. Let's err on the side of caution. I do the same thing for oysters and, you know, those kind of like mussels and things like that. And yeah, man, that's until I hear otherwise, like I try to not stand on ants. I usually... If there's a footpath available, instead of walking on the grass, I walk on the footpath. No big deal to me, man, but it might mean I don't step on a whole bunch of little insects and I'm happy to make that tiny little adjustment in my step. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've actually got a, a fella on the podcast, Thomas Baker, at the end of this week who is from a company called Food Frontier. And they they specialize in plant-based meat alternatives, but they're also in the cellular meat space. So he's going to come on and just explain how that's done. So that'll be a really, really interesting episode to see, you know, what is the process behind that? Yeah, man, like that could potentially save billions of animals in itself. I am, I think that would be incredible. 
great technology. Now, if, if there's like a farmer listening or, or someone, you know, maybe a child of a farmer and they, they, they're listening and thinking, oh, you know, how, how can we change things? Are there, are there companies that are set up out there to help them, you know, to assist that process? And what's your advice on that? That's a really, really good question, man. I just want to start by saying that although I'm very strongly condemning what we do to animals, I have no hate for farmers. I have no hate for slaughterhouses. You are friend, not foe to me. And I know there's a lot, a lot of other vegans who feel the same. You know, we, we hate the sin, not the sinner. I do believe that what is being done to the animals is, is very much a sin. You know, if you want to use that word, but it's, it's, I don't blame any individual because we're all born into this society, into this culture that has normalized this violence against these animals, certain animals, not all of them, just a few particular ones. So I just want you all to know that you don't need to see vegans as your enemies or me as your enemy, any activists. We just want the animals to stop suffering. We don't want them to stop suffering and you to start suffering. We want you also to be taken care of, to be healthy, to be wealthy, to have your family looked after and to be doing a job that you love. We just want that not at the expense of the animals' lives. So there are organizations set up to help people transition into a more ethical, environmentally sustainable role. And one of them is called farmkind.org. Which you can check out there, and and if that's something you're interested in doing, there's lots of examples of farmers switching from animal agriculture to berry farming, or soy crops, or even solar panels, solar panel farms, wind turbine farms, um, and all different kinds of things, almond milk instead of dairy milk. So options are available, and there's also organisations out there who are willing to assist. So yeah, farmkind.org is a good one. Well, coming to the end of, of this episode, James, so I've, I've, I want to finish up with a couple of final questions. What is vegan utopia to you and what, what would it look like? And is this what the 21st century will be remembered for? Okay, what would it look like? Dude, if you look at my life, it looks no different to how I used to live in many ways. I still get up. I still brush my teeth. I still eat breakfast. I still put clothes on. I still go do what I want to do, you know? Like I, I fight for the cause, but this cause was again. Okay, I'd have some that? other job. And it, it would basically look exactly the same, except we're using vegan products and these slaughterhouses, which we already don't see, these factory farms, which we already don't see they simply would not exist and hopefully it would be turned into something more useful. So I don't think it would necessarily look that different. We still could be eating meat even, just the vegan meat and that stuff you were talking about potentially as well. But for those individuals who aren't seen in the first place, life would be completely different because we will have stopped this cycle, this cycle of forced breeding and exploitation and slaughter. So for, for the vast majority of, like for billions of animals, for trillions of animals every year, life would be completely different. And yeah, that would mean that they wouldn't exist at all. But that is much better than us playing God and believing that we have the right to birth them with the sole purpose of slaughtering them. So it would simply mean that the suffering doesn't exist. And, and actually, I do think, like, this is just a theory, but I do think this would be a tangible 
benefit to all of us as well. Because apart from the obvious, you know, we have so many. Okay, some other examples would be that our family and friends would be living longer, healthier lives, less medications, less pain, less suffering, less heart attacks, less cancers. There's all that stuff for us. But as well, just in a more, you know, unprovable way. But I think right now there's so much violence in the air. And it's not just in the air, it's inside people's bodies. And I know myself, I feel more peaceful, more loving, more compassionate since just making different choices and putting different things into my body. If everybody did that, everybody made those little switches, I think the whole vibe of having less violence out there and inside, I just think it's possible that our whole culture, man, our whole society, our whole vibe, the humanity vibe might evolve to something really special and beautiful know, beyond what it already is. And who knows what that'll feel like, but I like to feel like there'd be less terror in the air. There'd be less anxiety, less stress that people go through. People would sleep, sleep more soundly. They'd, I just feel like it just, it really changes, man. It really change our species as in a big evolutionary way. But of course, that's just a theory. And, and mate, we, we're right at the end now. If someone wants to, to connect with you, and also to ask you questions directly, how can they get in touch? Well, if they just want to ask questions, feel free to join in on the regular discussions happening on my Instagram and Facebook and YouTube channel, which they're all under, well, Facebook and Instagram is under my name, James Aspie, and my YouTube is under mine and my girlfriend's name, James and Carly. If you want to really talk to me about something, an event or something that you're not comfortable sharing publicly, you can try me on Instagram DMs or my email peace at jamesaspie.com.au. Mate, thank you very much for connecting and doing a take two with me. It's <laughs> my uh, pleasure, man. It's, it's been a real privilege to have you on the show and I'm sure the listeners are going to absolutely love this episode. Thanks, man. I'm really grateful to you have had me on and thanks so much for getting this message out there, pumping it out and doing everything you're doing too, man. It's really good to connect with like-minded individuals who share a common cause And, uh, you know, this is one thing I didn't get to touch on, but we can all do something about this beyond just making better choices in our own lives. We can encourage others to do the same, support others to do the same. Use your unique skills, use whatever it is you're good at, use whatever, however you want to do it to contribute. There's a way to start pointing people towards this, this other path, this vegan path, this other lifestyle. So yeah, get, get to it, man. Like it's a lot of work to be done and it's very rewarding work. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. It's been a great chat. Yeah, thanks, bro. Hey, guys. Simon here. Just a couple of quick things I wanted to say to close out this episode. What a fantastic episode that was with James Aspie. Really, really, really insightful. And, you know, he is passionate and he is an animal activist, but I think what he does amazingly well is he brings things back to a place of compassion and he is also great at explaining, well, what are the solutions? Let's just not, you know, concentrate on the bad things that are happening, but, you know, how can we fix them? And that brings me to my first point is none of us or, or hardly any of us were born vegan. So if you're listening to this and, and you feel a bit sad or a bit down, you know, that's, that is normal. You're not a bad person if you eat meat or animal products. And, you know, I, I, I myself used to eat meat and I remember seeing or hearing these types of things and I would feel down. What I urge you to think about is some of the things that James said and think about your life, be mindful, be conscious and think about 
you know, if there is anything that you can change, small steps are great. As James said, small transitions are great. So just go through your life and think about it. If that's what you do off the back of this episode, then, you know, I think this episode has done its job, but I don't want you to necessarily dwell on the past and definitely don't want you to think you're a bad person. Secondly, I just, I need to share something about the first podcast recording. You know, as James and I said at the start, the first recording, it it didn't work out. It was my fault. I had some software upgraded and in doing that, my microphone settings, they went to a, a default setting. Long story short, the audio from my end didn't work out. And when I listened to it back and 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 it was doing some editing and listened to it back, I was like, oh no, we've just had this amazing conversation and it, you know, James's time's precious. I, I, I'm not sure how to tell him this, you know, I was a little worried. I was like, is he going to understand? Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, reluctantly, I was a little scared. I sent him an email and I said, look, Hey mate, amazing conversation. I learned a lot. I hate to break it to you, but I didn't have my audio set up properly and I'm not sure if the podcast is of a quality that I can publish. And you know, he wrote back, he said, and, and, and I said, sorry, I said, um, I'll, I'll send you the link and you have a listen to it. And you, you let me know if you think it's okay to upload. And you know, he wrote back, he wrote back and said, Hey mate, it was an amazing conversation. Really enjoyed it sucks about that, but I don't need to listen to it. If you're not happy with it, I've got so much time for Plant Proof podcast and this message. Let's just do it again. I don't need to listen to it. And he was just super, super positive, super understanding. Um, you know, and I think that's just, a, it's a credit to him. He, he is a living example of what he is preaching. So, you know, I just, I just felt like I needed to share that. So James, if you're listening and you've, you've made it this far to the end of your own podcast, Mate, thank you very much, and I certainly owe you. <laughs> Next time we uh, catch up, mate. So, guys, again, this is this is the the, the end of this episode. But I, I want to thank you for everything that you you've done in terms of sharing the Plant Proof Podcast on social media. I think this week it was crazy. Like the the Plant Proof Podcast was ranked number three in health on the Australian iTunes charts. Like. That is just, I can't even understand or explain that. Like I started this podcast in March. It's its a passion for me. I don't make money out of it. I get to connect with so many amazing people, inspiring people. And to see it that far up on the charts, it's like, holy moly, guacamole. So keep sharing, keep tagging, send me a direct message. I'd love to, to see what you think of the podcast, what you get out of them. And I'm super pumped to continue to bring on more amazing guests and and learn myself, but more importantly, bring information that helps you learn and helps you be more mindful, more conscious, more healthy and, and a happier person. So thanks for joining me on this Plant Proof Podcast rollercoaster ride. And I'll see you in the next episode.